Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by IOLife Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Welcome back to another episode of the Partnernomics Show. It's good to be with you again today. I'm joined by Mr. Brent Earlywine. Brent, how are things going today, buddy? They are going fantastic, Mark. I appreciate the uh, the ask. Well, yeah, like we were chatting about, man, winter is in the air. It is here, like it or not. <laughs> it's definitely here. I'm a little cold today. <laughs> Got the old sweaters going, all that sort of stuff. Uh, just trying to trying to stay warm here. But uh, Brent is the founder and principal at Quantum Channels. And uh, man, whenever I have some tough questions about channel or I want to know how it's done, man, Brent is uh, on the short list of folks that I call. So Brent, I appreciate you taking some time out today to chat with us and uh, share your insights. Yeah, of course. Looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great discussion. So, Brent, why don't, uh, man, you've had a solid, solid career so far. So uh, you can definitely introduce yourself better than I can. But uh, if you would just kind of tell the audience about uh, who Brent is and how you uh, jumped into the partnership channel world and what you're up to today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that. So um, I always start with, I describe myself as I'm a channel guy. So I've dedicated the last three decades and counting in my uh, professional career to uh, anything that has to do with uh, channels, partners, indirect routes to market. Uh, I've had the luxury and opportunity to uh, to do almost a little bit of everything. If you can think of uh, role, everything from individual contributor all the way up to senior VP of channels running uh, global uh, channel teams and everything in between, um, I've had the chance to uh, to execute against it and I've had an absolute blast. Um, I'll tell you, you know, you go back far enough um, I was a, uh, a partner. We had a family business way back when. So uh, I was on the other side of the equation. So I was the partner that was engaging with vendors and seeing it from that side of the uh, um, of the equation. So um, look, I mean, I think the uh, the short answer there is, um, you know, firm believer in indirect routes to market and the power of uh, channels and partners to scale and grow uh, businesses. So Brent, I know you've uh, been, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, from the from the ground floor and the trenches, the day to day trenches, all the way up to the highest executive levels um, in in channels. But uh, you know, we don't we don't always in in partnership land have an opportunity to really jump inside the head of uh, channel chiefs and to kind of understand what that role is like. Yeah. So I'm just going to come right out of the gates and let's let's hit that and ask, you know, how has what does it mean to be a channel chief? And then how has that role evolved over the last couple of decades? Yeah. So look, I had the uh, the opportunity um, and very, very thankful for it. Um, I was named one of the uh, the channel chiefs for uh, CRN uh, in 2022 um, in recognition of both what I was doing at that particular moment in time, as well as uh, the uh, kind of the depth of the career and the domain experience. You know, I think the uh, the role has shifted fairly significantly, I'd say, in the last five to 10 years. Um, the first thing that I tell you is I think the channel chiefs are being considered much more strategic. Uh, so they're a part of the executive suite. Uh, lots of discussions on how they report and who they roll up to. But um, effectively, the channel chiefs now are really being considered part of the strategic go to market revenue generation teams instead of an afterthought. And I think that's probably the, the first really big change. Um, and I view that very positively because unfortunately in the past, they were kind of considered an afterthought or, a, you know, okay, that's nice. You know, we're doing this channel thing, but that's not really where we're going as a company. Um, and then the second piece that I'd call out as a channel chief is the definition of the partners and the routes to market um, have been redefined. 
Um, so, you know, you hear certainly lots of things about ecosystems, but you've got all kinds of partners. So that definition in the past might have been, you know, VARs and system integrators um, or solution providers. But now you've seen this whole expansion of what's uh, a partner actually look like or how am I getting to my market opportunity? And I think it's now even starting to include influencers that aren't selling, they're not buying, they're not collecting a purchase order, but they're certainly uh, part of the um uh, the way that we get to end user customers and secure that business. And then we've also seen an explosion uh, now in the last five years, particularly with um, ISVs, application development houses, where again, they don't fit this kind of neat box of what a, a partner used to be defined as. Uh, so to me, that's also been very, very exciting to see that expansion of partner types and expansion of those routes to market. It is like, I think of you know, just looking back over, say, the last decade, like you had mentioned, uh, marketplaces, yep. massive proliferation of different ISVs, you know, these you know, software, you know, software is eating the world, as the book, as the book reads, and just all those other opportunities to uh, leverage technologies, but other, you know, networks, uh, you know, getting into, into clients a little bit faster. Yeah, exactly right. Brent, one of the many conversations that... Uh, and topics that I love digging into into with you is when we talk about the science of partnering yeah. and you know in partnering, you know, let's let's move this thing from shooting from the hip guessing to something more repeatable, predictable, something that we can actually lay out not only for our own teams but for executives so they feel like there there is something to track. It's not just hey we're going to put this strategy in place and and kind of and and have a hope. Uh, Man, I'd, I'd love to just kind of dig into your brain a little bit and ask, what does the science of partnering mean? And, and what does data mean? And, and from an executive level, what are some things that they need to think about and to put in place to make sure that uh, they're setting themselves up for success? Um, that's certainly a big question. I'm going to give you a couple answers, right? So the uh, the first thing that I'd say, and I use this term all the time, is um, professional channel management. Um, so now we've reached a point where not only are indirect routes to market being recognized as one of the fastest ways to scale and grow a company, um, so there's that acknowledgement, but then you get into the um, the teams that are delivering and executing against it, where in the past you might have had, you know, very um, not very well designed or um, defined, excuse me, um, roles and definitions of what those uh, positions actually look like. So again, I think in the last five to 10 years, we've really seen a, uh, a positive shift to professional channel management. And what I mean by that is the roles and the definitions are getting uh, much crisper. Um, and then if you look at uh, the science of channels, science of sales, you know, you get into frameworks and you get into processes. And what's the benefit to that is repeatability um, and scalability. Um, so if it's not defined, if it's not a uh, core framework, you can't repeat it because then it's you have one person that's really good at it. And the next person, you know, kind of doing something different on their own. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're uh, able to uh, deliver results. Uh, but you have to have the science and the repeatability um, of those frameworks and processes. And I'll tell you, Mark, that's one of the things that um, I really, really enjoyed about um partneronomics and the system and what you put together both in the um, the skills training as well as the frameworks as well as the engagement with vendors uh, to help them figure out what they need to do from a, uh, a channels or an indirect route to market perspective because I think it really is critical for a repeatability perspective and a scaling perspective 
Um, and I've had a chance to, you know, now over the last two months and three months uh, now and counting, uh, see a deep dive in what you bring to uh, bring to the table. And I've loved every minute of it. It's been fantastic. I mean, I'm a, I'm a framework process kind of guy, maybe a little too analytical at times. Um, but it's really spoken to me at a deep level to see, yes, this is exactly what professional channel management looks like. And it's at all levels of the organization. That's the other thing I'd call out is it's not just, hey, we've got, you know, bolt-on channel teams that are part of a sales team in a given region or a uh, theater around the globe. But it's actually front and center from a strategy perspective at the company level. If we're going to choose, we're going to do indirect routes to market. It's a strategy choice. And then you got to put everything else behind that, right? So you got a typical, you know, phrase, put the wood behind the arrow. If you're going to do it, it requires um, an alignment inside of the organization to make sure that you're doing it properly. Yeah, I'd like to double click on that one. Sure. And, you know, a lot of what we hear, especially, you know, if we're working, you know, engage with partnership teams, but coming in what I kind of call the side door, right? We're working with uh, the VP of partnerships or the, yeah. the director of channel, the director of partnerships. And I mean, that person has a really tough job because a lot of times they're kind of selling and educating and communicating upstream, right? Up to the C-suite uh, to share like what's going on and keep them educated and try to, you know, we always talk about alignment, you know, executive buy-in, executive alignment, and people will never buy into something they don't understand, um, I'd like for you to kind of talk to that partnership executive, that that partnership, uh, you know, professional that's running a team. But what are some things that they can do or should do to if if they feel like they don't have a solid strategy from yeah. top to bottom, and their partnership strategy is not aligned to the overall corporate strategy? What are some things they can do, or what's what's some coaching? to help them start to move that in in a better direction? Yeah, um, again, uh, deep question or, or questions. Um, a couple of things. I mean, I always say that, um, you know, if you're a channel chief or a channel leader in some way, shape or form, um, you've got two core jobs. You've got an internal job and you've got an external job, right? So the internal job is that constant, you know, it's it's the value of partnerships. It's the value of indirect routes to market. And oh, by the way, you're always fighting for resources. You're fighting for allocation of budget. Um, and you're also fighting for the attention because it's really easy, um, maybe, well, easy is not the right term, but uh, fairly straightforward is a better way to say it, to maybe outline a uh, indirect uh, channel strategy the first time. Uh, the challenge is always, you know, senior executives rotate, especially in high technology industry. They uh, seem to have a shelf life, right? You get to 18 to 24 months and suddenly the entire uh, executive suite kind of rotates out and then you have to resell it. Um, and I've seen this over and over again in my career where, you know, we had a team, everybody was in alignment, we had good uh, go to market motions, everybody was engaged, and then suddenly somebody rotates out and then you have to restart over with the discussion and the value prop on what a uh, indirect uh, channel kind of strategy looks like. Um, and really through no fault of anybody's, um, um, it's just where they're coming from, right? Maybe came somebody came from a purely direct selling environment and that's an okay strategy. There's nothing wrong with it, but just being really clear on what that strategy is. And then the rest of the answer to the question is, you know, the uh, the best practices around really sitting down and going, all right, where are we trying to get to as a company? So the other thing I'd tell you is a channel strategy is not a short term fix. These are long term investments in uh, people, processes, uh, cash, uh, you name it. 
Um, and the reason it's a long-term investment is because it's based on relationships with third-party independent companies that are going to partner with you to try to go sell solutions out in the marketplace. And what that means is you're not playing the you know one-quarter game or the six-month game or even the uh, fiscal year game. This is 18 months. This is 24 months, 36 months, because you're really convincing and supporting this partner to be a part of your go-to-market motion and strategy. And if you change gears, guess what? It's, it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to get back in front of that partner if suddenly you go, eh, we took a left-hand turn. Nope, now we took a right-hand turn. Uh, please come back. Please be a partner again. Uh, almost impossible to, uh, to do. So um, really trying to make sure that folks inside the organization understand that it's a long-term play and it's a strategic choice. If you're going to do channels, great, do channels. If you're going to do direct, great, do direct. If you want to do some hybrid of the two and some mix, and we can have a great discussion on what a healthy mix looks like, that's okay too. But be very clear up front on what your strategy choice is, and then you line everything else up behind it. I don't know if there's a short answer, but I'm going to dig into it anyway. <laughs> it, it, that is kind of, you know, so I'm thinking of the vast majority of our clients, you know, nearly all of them have some direct motion and a lot of them, even, you know, especially in the SaaS space, uh, going out there, we're going direct us versus the world. They, they find some success. They get some cash in the bank and Hey, they hear about this indirect route. Let's do that too. And so they kind of run this hybrid approach, um, from, especially from the kind of this executive perspective and, and the strategy perspective, um, they shouldn't run in silos. Correct. What are what are some kind of things to watch out for as you're standing up this uh, indirect route? What are some some recommendations you would have for folks as they're standing up those two arms to make sure that that there is some level of coordination between the two? Um, I think there's there's multiple answers inside of that, too. I mean, the first thing is setting an expectation that it's not a fast fix. Um, so it, and, and there's a dichotomy here, which is really kind of interesting because I am convinced um, and I've seen it over and over again that um, indirect routes to market or partners is the fastest way to scale and grow a company. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you that uh, when you first start, it's not fast. Um, it has this it has this curve to it that pays off after you've invested the appropriate amount of time, effort, resources, people, processes, you name it. So upfront is setting that expectation is you're going to have this valley or the the dip part of the curve up front that's not going to be 30 days, 60 days. It's probably going to be six months, maybe 12 months. I mean, there's a there's an investment period to do it properly. Um, and you know, with that said, there's always somebody who's gonna stumble into a deal, you're gonna stumble into a great partner that's gonna, you know, turn on really fast. So there's exceptions to that rule, but setting that expectation that the uh, the timeline, and then it accelerates later. Um, and then it accelerates into 2X, 3X, 4X, right? That's how you get into the, uh, the scale and the growth. Uh, the other thing that I tell you, and I think this is really buried inside of your program that I'm a firm believer in is map out what kinds of partners and why. Um, so you're starting with the organizational level plan, right? So we want to do indirect routes to market in some way, shape or form, some percentage. Um, and then from there, we start to define, well, what are the right kinds of partners? And there's all kinds of business models of partners that are out there in the marketplace. And not every one of them is going to be a good fit for you as a vendor, uh, software or otherwise. Um, you may end up with two or three or four or five or six uh, types of partners or categories of partners, and that's okay. And then once we have those uh, categories of partners that make sense for our strategy, 
Then we start filling in the names. You start filling in the blanks on who the actual partner organizations are by name that we want to go recruit and, and engage and bring on board and enable and start down that path of the actual tactical kind of work at a street level. Man, I love that. How many times do I, <laughs> you know, hear or see executives or even founders of companies uh, start to lay out this, this partnering strategy and they start off by identifying who the partners are going to be. I got it backwards. <laughs> I'm like, man, you've got it so backwards. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. that that may be a decent profile. That may be a, it's something that you would love, but there's uh, there's there's so many things that come into it. You know, far be, far before that. Yeah, Wait, and, you know, yeah. go ahead. I'm just going to say, I mean, that can be okay if they put it in the right box, and the right box being that that individual organization they've identified by name could be a great example of a type of partner or category of partner or they're covering a region or they have a vertical that they play in or whatever the case may be. As long as they put it in that right perspective, then that's an okay answer. If they just start with, hey, you know, here's a partner by name, here's another partner by name, let's go sign them. The answer has got to be time out because you will spend money, cycles, effort, and then they may or may not be a good fit. And guess what? Now you might have to back up and start over. And that's twice as hard as starting uh, a pro- Twice as costly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of organizations and I think especially now, again, we were talking about this massive proliferation of software companies sure. where they start off and, you know, kind of those easier, quote unquote, uh, programs to get off the ground is like, you know, referrals or affiliates, something pretty sure. easy to get going, click through partnership agreements. Uh, we can kind of get flying pretty quickly. Uh, then as we get success there, we're wanting to do something maybe a little bit more sophisticated. Um what I guess just kind of talk a little bit about the the maturation that goes into this. You mentioned earlier about training, yep. but just uh, you know, how do companies know whenever they're ready to to get more involved into more complicated partnerships, or let's say even working with an SI, for example? Sure. Uh, how do you know when you're ready to kind of graduate to the big leagues? Um, well, I think there's a couple of decision points. First decision point is when somebody feels like as an organization, as a vendor, uh, they're really uh, looking to scale. Um, and again, you know, if we talk that uh, talk through the partners are really one of the best ways to uh, scale and grow when you feel that you're logically at that point. Um, and not every company is really at that point. They may think they are or want to be there, but that doesn't mean that they're actually at that point. Um, I think is a really good starting uh, decision point. The other uh, uh, decision point is, do you have the ability to sit down with another third party outside organization and come up with a mutually beneficial offer in the marketplace? Um, so one of the things that I tout all the time and one of my core kind of tenants is never forget the partners or independent third party businesses. They don't work for you. They partner with you. So they make a decision that they see the same opportunity you do. Um, and ideally, you're really sitting down with them. And this is the complex part. You're sitting down with them to go market opportunity. Here's mutual solutions, beneficiary solutions. I do this, you do that. You're wrapping around on top. You're adding professional services, whatever the discussion might be. Um, but then we're really going to go chase that market together. Um, and I think that's vastly different than, you know, an affiliate or a referral kind of program. And typically the affiliate or referral program, unless you've got a really simple or uh, more basic kind of offering, that's really kind of click to buy from the customer's perspective. If it's a complex solution, that's probably only going to get you so far or maybe not even get you any traction at all, quite honestly. And you have to move into somebody that's a 
value-added reseller, a system integrator, a solution provider, an MSP, where now you're actually crafting mutually beneficial offerings in the marketplace that you're going to go chase together. But that takes work. Uh, you got to define it and you have to leave space for the partner. Uh, this is another thing that comes up a lot in the discussions with, uh, with vendors and channel teams is you have to leave spaces for the partner to add their own value to the uh, the sales process because a partner typically doesn't want to just do resale. It's your stuff, put it on, on my paper, I make a couple of bucks and we move on because the partners have all started to figure out their value is their own intellectual property, their own unique value add. Uh, so if they're adding something to or making the offering bigger, broader in some way, shape or form, then they're going to be really interested in it. Bring you bring in teams, you know, in, in partnership in the partnership profession for again like decades. Sure. And uh, without jumping on a soapbox uh, too hard, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> but uh, I know, right? You know, from from day one that I've been around sales organizations, it is absolutely customary, normal. Every year, uh, these professionals jump into different programs to sharpen the sword, so to speak, to hone sure. the skills or, you know, to kind of relearn some skills. But man, as I just continue to spend time in this partnerships world, 20 going on 25 years now, it still kind of blows my mind that the expectation is there for sales to constantly be sharpening the sword, sure. but it's almost like an afterthought at best yeah. in the partnerships space, yet it's infinitely more complex, I would argue. Uh, kind of what's, I guess, what's what's your thoughts there? Or that's, I don't that's even know what question. question to ask, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm continually perplexed at this whenever I'm talking to partnering professionals and they're like, man, I, I wish I had a little bit of budget to jump through a program to kind of learn this science of partnering and kind of see this methodology laid out. And man, we just don't have it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll use the term astounded. Um, I'm still astounded. Um, and and I'll, I'll say a couple of statements uh, right up front. One, I'm a firm believer, um, and that's probably not a strong enough statement uh, to say that I do believe that professional channel management um, actually is a unique skill set. Um, and the other term you hear me uh, use is typically if you're a channel management or channel management team, it's a boundary spanning role. So you may or may not be actually collecting the uh, the purchase order, but you're at the hip with the sales team inside of the uh, the vendor organization. Uh, you're also influencing an external relationship, i.e. the partner. Uh, so you're in this really unique kind of middle uh, position and you're doing influence both directions. Um, and that's very difficult to do and very difficult to do properly. And that's why I say it's a unique skill set. Um, organizations really need to, one, acknowledge, um, and I think they really have started to. And I think, again, that's even in the last five years, six years, seven years, uh, they're starting to recognize the unique skill sets are required. Uh, but they need to deliver against helping those individuals be better at what you need them to do as a uh, um, as a role. Um, and that means giving them channel specific skills uh, training. So every vendor I've ever worked for, I've been through, you know, countless uh, rounds of sales training um, on how to be a better salesperson. Very few and far between seeing better channel management or partner relationship management uh, skills that's very unique for that kind of training. It's one of the reasons I started Quantum. 
um, was I recognized that gap because I lived it uh, both for myself as an individual contributor, as well as even as a leader, it was difficult to try to get that kind of training uh, put together. Um, I was successful and there are a couple of organizations that I think do a great job. Uh, Mark, I'll put your organization squarely in the, uh, the top of that list um, because I do love the framework and the processes and the training uh, that uh, you make available. Um, but I do think it's a critical component that uh, most vendors are missing on, especially if you view channels and indirect mount, uh, routes to market as a, uh, a strategic choice, like this is how we're going to grow the company. Guess what? Then you need to invest in your people and help them be the best version that they can as they go out and execute against that strategy. You're probably already doing it for your sales teams. You should be doing it for your channel teams as well. Last question I have for you, Brent, and that is uh, you and I have similar but different kind of backgrounds. And that is yours heavily in martial arts. Sure. Uh, I spent six years in the Marine Corps and in, in the military. And, and there's, you know, I think a, a, a lot of similarities in just kind of that mentality and the approach that goes into it. But I want to ask the question, you recommended a, a really interesting, really cool book to me, uh, Left a Bang. Sure. It's, it's one of my favorites. Yep. Really cool, really interesting. And just really about uh, awareness, I guess, is if I could put one word to it, you know, just awareness. And, you know, that hits all, uh, you know, all, all situations, all topics in life. But how has, you know, your significant, expansive uh, time that you spend in martial arts, how's it helped you as a business professional? Um, multiple, multiple ways. So I've been in martial arts now 36 years and counting. Um, so, you know, it stopped being a hobby for me a long time ago. It's actually just part of who I am. I actually own and run a full-time school here in Pittsburgh. And I just celebrated uh, 25 years of having a full-time school here in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, it's coming up in December, but I've been celebrating now for a couple of months straight with my uh, senior instructors and students. Um, th there's, it's, it's another deep discussion, but there are a couple of things that um, have really translated very well into uh, kind of the career development, professional uh, development piece, leadership roles. Um, one I'd start with is a results-oriented mindset. Uh, so really after, you know, talk is cheap, you know, you can have a lot of emotions, but ultimately it comes down to uh, generating results. Um, and I think that shows up on the, uh, the dojo floor. Um, I usually will say that there's nowhere to hide on the dojo floor. You can't hide behind somebody else. It's really just you. You have to perform or you don't perform. Um, and that holds you to a higher standard from a, a quality and delivery perspective. The other thing that I'd tell you is um, um, there has just been, and I don't know, I can tell you that there's a shortcut way to do it, but um, really kind of a command presence, a sense of presence, how you carry yourself. Um, and you'll see this a lot in people that have done martial arts for years. I've seen it a lot in people that I've engaged with from a military perspective. Uh, there's just a way that people carry themselves. And that shows up when you're in a high stakes meeting in a conference room and, you know, it comes down to, you know, the next two minutes are going to make or break a deal, a career, uh, you know, motion for a strategic choice for the company. Um, and having that ability to really be fully in the moment um, is another lesson that has uh, come across from uh, from the dojo. And the last one I'd call out, and, you know, we could talk about this for the next 20 hours if you wanted to. It's near and dear to my heart. But um, the idea of the beginner's mind. 
Um, people get jaded um, over time if you do the same thing over and over again. Um, but always looking through uh, the eyes of a beginner. Um, and that just gives you um, motivation. It gives you excitement. It keeps it fresh. And so no matter what you're doing, whether it's a hobby or a piece of your career, but looking at everything through the beginner's mind, a student's mind, um, I think is an awesome kind of mindset to carry forward in your life. So to me, that's another big uh, lesson I'd peel out. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Especially for us guys that have spent uh, a lot of time in corporate America that, uh, you, you know, contend, can, you know, have you think that uh, it's, you know, not possible. I'm not slamming my head against this wall again. I, I love, I love that. Always word. something new to learn. even yeah, if it's Absolutely. <laughs> no question. No question. Well, Brent, thank you so much for your time. It's been great uh, chatting with you. Thanks for sharing your insights. Love what you're doing and uh, love having you on the team as a partneronomics implementer. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com. And Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.